Hello everybody and welcome to the first ever episode of Behind the Yellow Line. My name's LJ and I'm going to be your host. Today we are going to be talking about true crime cases. This series, this channel, this podcast is going to be covering all different true crime cases. A lot of them I want to focus on will be in the Metro Detroit area, but I will also cover some national cases, some global cases, and maybe cases outside of this world? You never know. Uh, I'm willing to try it all, so if you have any suggestions on what you would like to hear or see, please feel free to give me a comment down below and let me know what you would like. Additionally, I will ask you to please subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube, or subscribe if you are listening to this on a podcast streaming service as well. So that way you'll never miss the next episode. So this is a brand new podcast. I've never done this kind of a podcast before. Uh, this is going to be a lot more deeper and research intensive. I do want to try to post videos about once a week, if not twice a week. So please expect more content and hold me to it if you know me. Feel free to reach out and ask if I have not uploaded anything recently. This is something that I'm truly passionate about. I really do love listening to true crime stories and finding out more about it and if there's any way to help. Especially if the crimes have gone unsolved, I want to be somebody in the community that can help uh, in some way, you know. A lot of people are trafficked and a lot of victims, you know, never find their their captor, never find their murderer, like their families never get the resolution of the, the crime that was committed. And so if I can help in any way at all possible, please, please reach out to me. So my first case is going to be about a woman in Michigan. Like I said, I am from Michigan. I wanna do what I can to help out Michigan and help out our community as a whole, uh, especially with those that might be, you know, not doing the best um, nationwide coverage. You know, a lot of stories just don't get the coverage that they deserve. And so I wanted to bring more of a focus to some of the Michigan cases that maybe just didn't get that nationwide news that they deserved. So this case is about a woman named Tara Grant. I do have notes on my phone, so if you're watching the video version, I will be looking down for some of the video. That's just so I can collect my thought. I have tons and tons of notes, so that way I'm making sure I'm using a reliable source. Everything I did find, I found on the internet, so some facts may be incorrect, but I am not a professional in any means. Um, I don't have a PI license or anything. I'm not a private investigator. I have no criminal justice background. I I am literally just a random person that has an interest in a hobby that, you know, I wanted to explore more. So this is all new to me. If I say names wrong, locations wrong, correct me, but please be <laughs> kind about it. I'm doing my best. I'm looking up as much stuff as I can, but I am very new to this. So I do expect that I will probably mispronounce names as well as places, the whole shebang, it's gonna happen. <laughs> With that out of the way, I just have one other thing I want to preface before we get into the case, and that is a warning. Warning, this podcast may include graphic depictions of murder, death, dismemberment, and other unsavory activities. You have been warned to continue listening at your own risk. Trigger warning is in effect, viewer discretion is advised. I say this just because this case is very, very heavy. There is a lot that went on in this case, and that's why I wanted to bring attention to it, because whew, we're gonna go there. Um, so 
Without further ado, let's get into the case. But please, if you have a sensitive stomach, if you are triggered in any sort of, you know, way, maybe consider another video that is a little less graphic. With that all out of the way, thank you so much for joining us for the first ever Behind the Yellow Line, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, LJ, and let's get right into the story. Tara Grant was brutally murdered inside her Michigan home on February 9th, 2007. Her murderer confessed, she grabbed my hand at one point, but it was too late then, and I couldn't stop. I just told myself, look, if you don't do this, you're going to prison for the rest of your life. And I just kept cutting her. Tara Lynn Grant was born on June 28th, 1972, and she was brutally murdered. She grew up in Rock, Michigan, which is in the Upper Peninsula. It's kind of near Marquette, I think. It's like a little bit pat earlier than that, but it's up in the UP. If you know where Mar Marquette is, then you are in the right neck of the woods. She attended Mid-Peninsula High School, which was a smaller school in that area. I guess her graduating class was only that of about 42 individuals. So that's really small. I know my graduating class was probably around 500 to maybe even 700. So 42 people in your entire graduating class is a very, very small school. But she was known as a loving tomboy. She was a cheerleader in high school and she was described by friends as meticulous and smart. So a little bit more background just on Tara in general is that she often had to travel for work. She was definitely the breadwinner of the household. She worked for an international construction and engineering firm, and she had a six-figure management position, so she was doing well. But she was the breadwinner between her and her husband. Her husband worked in his father's small-time two-man shop, and it was just a machine shop, so you know, like tools and all of that kind of stuff. And he would always be the one who looked after the kids while Tara was away on the road for work. He considered himself Mr. Mom, which I thought was disgusting. <laughs> I don't know, I just didn't like that term. It just was off-putting. There was a different article that he like, had said like Tara wasn't a good mom and I'm Mr. Mom. So I don't know, it just kind of seemed like immediate shade in my opinion. But I'm just, I'm not a fan of Stephen Grant and you'll find out why. <laughs> so she was presently working a commuting job as you do when you work in an international company that has a six-figure income associated. So she was commuting from San Juan, Puerto Rico, and Detroit. And this was a f at least going on for five months at this point. And unfortunately, this is what caused an argument to erupt that ultimately caused her demise. So now I have a timeline of events. Um, some of them are just quick hits. Some of them are a little more lengthy. I'm going to give you what the public perception was either at that time or like looking back what happened on that day based off of the line of events that we had at that time. And then as more information comes out, it'll make more sense because I'll fill in those blanks as they, as they happen. So let's get into the timeline. On January 25th, 2007, Stephen Grant sends emails to an ex-girlfriend while Tara Grant is on a business trip. So Stephen, before he married Tara had a girlfriend and this is the same ex-girlfriend that he was talking to before they were together. They, I didn't really get a whole lot of information as to why this was relevant. So he sends 
emails to his ex-girlfriend on January 25th. Then on February 4th, uh, Tara calls her mom and she says that she's looking forward to a vacation from work because she is tired from working. I feel like that's pretty normal. Again, I didn't really see the relevancy for this, but it was in the official timeline um, that I saw on a couple different news stories, so I thought it might have been enough relevance that if they could include it, I should. Then on February 9th, 2007, so it looks like five days later, Tara finally returns from Puerto Rico, her business trip. So Stephen, later on, when he's talking to Belize, claims that this was the last time that he saw her. He, he claims, when, when he eventually makes his statement to the police, that Tara and him had an argument about her returning back to work to Puerto Rico, and, you know, th this happened all the time, apparently. He said that the last time he saw her, she got into a metro car. If you don't know what a metro car is, think of an Uber, think of a Lyft, think of a taxi cab, something like that. It's just like a car service. So then on February 12th, 2007, Tara's flight was scheduled from Detroit to Puerto Rico, and she misses her flight. So there's a ticket that was unclaimed. She never shows up for the flight. She missed it. So her work's probably kind of like, what's going on? Um, but Steven calls her office um, in Puerto Rico and then they didn't really explain how he got to this part, but he apparently calls the man that he suspects she is cheating on him with. So if you're following me here, Steven is talking to his ex-girlfriend and Tara is speaking supposedly with a man that she's expected she's suspected of having an affair with at her office. So we can see there's an issue here. February 14th, 2007, Valentine's Day, if you will. Stephen Grant finally, five days later, reports his wife as missing. He says that the last day he saw her was February 9th. This is also the first time he has mentioned anything to the police, so five days, you just aren't gonna mention your wife's missing to anyone or the police, okay. And when he was questioned by the police as to why he waited so long to report her missing, he replied that they had fights all the time, um, but she would always, you know, just walk out and come back after a day or so. So, you know, this is the first time she just didn't come back. Well, <laughs> the police, I don't know if they, they really trusted this guy either. So the next day, February 15th, Stephen Grant was arrested on suspicion of driving on a suspended license. So bring him down to the station, you know, they try to get questions in. But then on February 20th, Stephen refuses to take a polygraph test. His attorney, David Green, says that he would reconsider taking a polygraph test if somebody other than the Macomb County Sheriff's Department administered it. So then on February 21st, 2007, the Macomb County Sheriff's Department holds its first news conference about Tara Grant and offers updated details to members of the media. Sheriff Mark Hackle announces plans to hold prep conferences every single day until Tara is found. Her investigators introduce to the public a series of emails between Steven and his ex-girlfriend. So they're kind of at this point trying to paint some sort of narrative about Steven, like maybe he's not that trustworthy because he's talking to his ex-girlfriend. So then the next day, as you do, as he said, they have a press conference on February 22nd and investigators start announcing that they're going to start a ground search. So a ground search is where they get, you know, dogs, people, etc., police, 
vans, helicopters around and they and they search. Duh. I don't know why I lost my train of thought. Stephen Grant tells police he heard his wife on the phone the night of her disappearance. And when he said that, he said that she said on the phone that she would meet them at the end of her driveway. Well, uh, at this press conference, the investigators announced that on her phone records, there was no record from either the house phone of the Grant residence or Tara's cell phone, there was no call made at that time. So Hackle just says that Grant named himself as the number one suspect at this time. On February 23rd, Stephen Grant brings two home computers to the sheriff department for authorities to inspect. There wasn't really much that came of that. That was the only official statement I saw about that, but there it is. The next day, the ground search is conducted. So on February 24th, at Stony Creek Metro Park, a three-mile area is surrounded, that surrounds the Grant home, was searched by 150 police personnel with search dogs, all-terrain vehicles, and air units. So they were going at it. The reason I wanted to cover this case so bad is because I live really close to Stony Creek Metro Park. Not presently, but I have in my life. I've gone to that park a lot growing up, like my entire life. That's like our main park in metro detroit area so this is very close to home it's very scary to me that you know they had a search so close and we'll get into it but what they find is you know they had a search so close and we'll get into it but what they find is We'll get to it. On February 25th, Tara begins to make national news coverage, so she did break through some of that news coverage, but again, this is just such a crazy case, I had to tell this story. So on March 1st, Channel 4 News obtains a copy of the police record from the night that Stephen was pulled over and arrested for his suspended license. And then according to that police report, they found two envelopes of money worth $4,000 in cash. And so when Stevens question, you know, why do you have this much cash? He goes, oh yeah, one's my paycheck, just cashed. And one's $2,000 I have to give to my attorney. Why are you getting your paycheck cashed though, buddy? Like, that's sketchy. Meanwhile, also on the first, the family has a cabin, so Tara's family has a cabin. And so there were more searches conducted in Escanaba. Escanaba. <laughs> Escabana? Who knows? And uh, they tried. They, they really tried. <laughs> but they found nothing. March 2nd. Detectives obtain a search warrant for the Grant's home and Stephen's place of business. So his, his dad's, you know, tool shop. I heard different stories on this part, but basically one of them said that like they were talking to Stephen, they were questioning him at his house and like eventually they like stopped questioning him, let him go and he's like okay well you guys have the search warrant so I'm gonna peace out, goodbye! And so they keep searching and then they find a torso from the neck to like a little bit above like where your thigh area is, her waist-ish but like thigh, yeah, her torso. They find a torso but it, it later becomes deemed Tara's torso. Ugh, I get goosebumps every time I say that. So, on March 3rd, Macomb County Sheriff's Departments announced that they found body parts in the Grant home, and they began a manhunt to find Stephen. Like I said, they had questioned him, they let him go, he dips the fuck out, because he knows exactly what's there, and they can't find him now, <laughs> because they let him go. So, 
Sheriffs announced they will be seeking murder charges against Grant. Grant's children are staying with Tara's sister, I believe. It said his sister, but they end up staying with her sister, like later. So I think it's the same Tara's sister, not Stephen's sister. But it said that he calls them to check in on his children on that day as well, while he's still being searched, you know, missing. On March 4th, Grant is found hiding out in the Wilderness State Park at 6.50 a.m. and he is airlifted to Northern Michigan Hospital. And this is because he was attempting suicide. He was being treated for frostbite and hypothermia. He was trying to die, I think. I think he took some pills and stuff and was just kind of like hoping the wilderness would take him, but it didn't work. They found him and uh, they airlifted him. They also on March 4th, the investigators, with help from K-9 dogs, find the remaining pieces of Tara Lynn Grant at Stony Creek Park. It was said that Sheila Werner, a trail walker, was just on her morning hike at Stony Creek Metro Park where she saw a one gallon Ziploc baggie tucked under the tree. She states, it's, it was snow on the ground, so it stood out like a sore thumb. I mean, there was bright red blood in the bag. Sheila picked up the baggie and she thought the sheriff's office might want to know more about this with all the coverage on the news about the missing woman. <laughs> and at the same time, on this also on this day, Stephen Grant's attorney drops his case stating irreconcilable differences. So then on March 5th, what do you know? Stephen Grant confesses to murders about his role in the killing and dismemberment of Tara Lynn Grant. So to get onto his confession, Stephen Grant talked to police for hours from his frostbitten hospital bed where he described the brutal murder. Stephen said an argument began with his wife's frequent travel for work. While they were arguing, Tara walked away and Grant grabbed her by the wrist, Stephen Grant. Tara in defense slapped Stephen, hitting her back and knocking her to the ground. Once she was on the ground, he grabbed at her like shirt fabric and put it over her head and started choking her. He said, she grabbed my hand at one point, but it was too late then and I couldn't stop. I knew I was going to prison, so I panicked. After Tara was no longer breathing, Stephen tied a belt to her neck so he could use it to drag her body down the stairs to the garage. Can you imagine, like, if she hadn't been dead yet, like, your husband literally dragging your body with a belt tied around your neck to the garage from the bedroom. Um, also, he was supposedly naked in bed when this all happened. Um, so apparently he did all of this while still naked. That is to be confirmed, but I did hear that. During the drag, if you will, the belt snapped, slamming Tara's head to the concrete floor of the garage. Steven said that the sound of that was like watermelon being dropped on cement. He said he knew at this moment that she was dead. Eventually, with like, you know, trying to pull her body up now with a snapped belt, he was able to shove her body into the back of her own car. Uh, all the while, the couple's four-year-old son, Ian, and six-year-old daughter, Lindsay, slept in their bedroom. Then he waited two days, two days, so her, her, her body is just chilling in the back of her car. I can't understand how no one, including her children, like saw it. Especially like, I don't know, that just seems very illogical to me. But he waited two days to drive her body over to the dad's tool and die shop, where he then dismembered her with a hacksaw blade. 
He claims that he was drinking whiskey and he was so distraught he threw up. I don't believe that because if you can fucking hack a body, I don't think, I just, I don't believe him. Grant said, I just told myself, look, if you don't do this, you're going to prison for the rest of your life. And I just kept cutting. Once she was small enough, he used his children's red plastic sled to carry the wife's remains into the woods of Stony Creek Metro Park and buried her torso in the snow. However, later, when the police said that they would be searching the wooded area, he retrieved the torso and stored it in a plastic container in the garage. So the conviction. Stephen Grant was found guilty of second-degree murder on December 21st, 2007. The jury was unable to unanimously agree that his actions were premeditated. Therefore, the original charge of first degree didn't go through. So he only got second degree murder with the eligibility for parole, which I don't get. <laughs> um, but he was also sentenced to only six to 10 years for the mutilization of the body. Um, but don't worry, because if you thought that wasn't enough, it's also to run concurrently. So it doesn't even have to actually get anything for mutilating the body. <laughs> Just the killing part. However, the judge did describe his actions as demonic, manipulative, barbaric, and dishonest. So you guys, that is the first case. If you liked that, please feel free to give this video a like, feel free to subscribe, feel free to give me a comment on this video. Um, I really do enjoy researching these cases, but it will make it all that more sweet if you give it a like. So uh, thank you so much for watching. Thanks so much for hanging out. And until the next one, I will see you guys behind the yellow line. Bye.